what does it mean to worship God? That's what you'll learn in today's episode. To listen to the full episode for nearly 10 minutes of extra content, including powerful stories about your favorite worship songs, subscribe to our Patreon for just $3 a month at patreon.com slash Leah D. Chapman. Welcome to Apologetic Simplified, a podcast about Christianity, theology, and culture. Hit subscribe to be notified of each new episode. And now, here's your hosts, Leah Chapman and Andrew Foster. Welcome back to Apologetic Simplified. We are so glad that you could listen to us talk about things. Yeah, we are so glad you're here. So excited. And if you hear some uh, scurrying in the background, that's because my dog is also very excited and is constantly running <laughs> in and out of this room. I can see it. I just see his little little tip of his white beagle tail just going. You won't hear any squeaking babies because she has started daycare. It's going. We'll just leave it there. It's going. We're all adjusting, but it's a good daycare. So we'll adjust. Um but yeah, we're here with uh, two dogs. This makes it feel like it was before Ellie, except that now we're in LaGrange. Anyway, um, today we are going to be talking about worship. What does it mean to worship? What does the Bible have to say about worship? Hint, it's a lot. The Bible has a lot to say about worship. <laughs> Who um, it? I know. Andrew has been reading a book that he's going to tell us about uh, for church, and he has decided to share what he has learned with us as well. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the book? Yeah. Um, so this all started at my church for getting uh, small groups going again. Uh, it's really kicking it off, getting ministries going. There's a lot of things on the calendar. It's a very exciting time. Uh, and pastor asked me if I would be interested in leading a small group, specifically something uh, worship related. I said, I would love to. And did a little look and everywhere I found was like, well, this is the book you need to use. It is. Holy Roar by Chris Tomlin and Darren Whitehead. Uh, and the little subline is seven words that will change the way you worship. And it looks at different words in the Bible that are translated as praise in English. Uh, you may recall a few episodes ago, we made a joke about reading the Bible in the original English. <laughs> and that was a joke because it was not written in English. Uh, and there's some words that if we just read in English, we can sort of lose the whole meaning. Uh, one of those is love. Uh, you've heard how there's different words for love and Leah's going to give us a quick recap on that. Yeah. So the word that we see as love in our new Testament, I'm just looking at the Greek here, can be several different words. Uh, primarily you're going to see three. Um, actually there's a fourth, but we're only going to talk about three primarily in the Bible. You'll see the word phileo, um, and agape. And you'll also, um, I don't, I'm not sure if Eros is actually in the New Testament, but uh, there are three different words that all translate as love. And so phileo, according to my lexicon, says to have a special interest in something or someone with a focus on close association, have affection for, like consider someone a friend. So that could be anything from like, I have a special interest in sushi and I phileo sushi a whole lot to, um, or it could be phileo, like, uh, like a friend, like I phileo my friends, but then agape is going to be something a little more agape is to have a warm regard for an interest in another cherish, have affection for love to transcendent recipients of special devotion, especially to Jesus. Uh, that's sorry. I'm just reading straight from this BDAG lexicon. So if that's why it sounds, uh, 
is the word scholarly in definition, but uh, agapeo as the verb form, it's a much deeper kind of affection um, to cherish. It's much deeper. So while I made phileo sushi, um, <laughs> agapeo more applies to like Ellie, my daughter or my husband. Uh, so phileo and agapeo are two words we see. There's also, um, it's often said as arrows or areo in the verb form. And then there's another one as well. I have it listed here, but it's so three or four different words that all translate to love for us, but then to the original readers meant different things. And so by studying the scriptures, we get to learn more about what the authors were intending to communicate uh, by looking at the original text. Yeah. It's an interesting language we speak. I was just thinking about it the other day is that church, we're going to be putting up another, uh, tripod light beam and i was thinking about it it's like you know it's not the most heavy duty of stands it's a lighter stand but that's okay because none of our lights are heavy all of our lights are light so the lighter duty will be fine <laughs> yeah, what an interesting language we speak <laughs> yeah what in the world <laughs> uh, i was also thinking when you were talking about how you filet sushi and i hope the uh chef filet the fish or it's going to be a little crunchier <laughs> <laughs> that's a good oh, one goodness gracious <laughs> but yes uh, just like there are different words that in english bible all say love um there are also different words uh, predominantly in the psalms that are translated as praise uh seven to be exact and we're going to be diving into this uh apparently some background on the book uh chris tomlin shares that it was one of the few sundays where he was actually at his uh home church because usually he's on the road leading worship at other churches and then uh, Darren gets up from the message and says, all right, I'm going to be preaching about praise and worship today. And his response is like, you've got to be kidding me. But then he gets into and starts talking about these words. And it's like, man, I do this for a living. I write these songs. I have never heard any of this. The church wow. needs to hear this. And he was like, hey, you need to write this as a book. And he's like, okay, let's write it together. So it's That's really, cool. really neat background. And let's dive into it. Our first word is yada, yada which means to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands or to throw a stone or arrow. Like in these definitions, how there's like always like, this is what it usually means. And we got to mention it also means this. <laughs> and this word is seen well in a lot of places, but an example here is Psalm 67 uh, verse three it says, may the people's praise yada you God, may all the people's praise yada you. All right. So everybody who is uh, strongly against hand raising, you can uh, turn off the podcast now and go ahead and leave us a negative review. <laughs> <laughs> but no, there is um, not saying that if you're not raising your hands, you're doing it wrong. Um, but we will talk later on about if you're more reserved, kind of looking at the reasons why, but that'll be later on. Because the truth is a lot of us come from worship backgrounds where we're a little more reserved in how we worship in the corporate setting and sometimes don't understand uh, more expressive forms. Uh, Darren Whitehead shares a story about uh, that was him. And, you know, they'd be in church and they'd see someone raise hand and be like, oh, you think they need to go to the bathroom or something? <laughs> please, 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 please check me. <laughs> but then he uh, yeah. also talks about one time a friend of his invited him to his church, which was much more, not sure if it would be full-blown charismatic, but much more expressive. He's like, I wish I got the quote from there, but it said something like, you know, felt really perplexed and a little uncomfortable and couldn't wait to come back. Huh. But then uh, he said, even in that place, and this was you know going through his mind, 
keep your eyes on the words. Don't get too emotional. Don't be a distraction. But then um, one day uh, he said it kind of changed after he'd been going to this church for a while. He said he was listening to a uh, listening to worship while he was driving and you know, include the detail that this next part was when he was stopped at a red light. Uh, he just felt really moved by what was happening. He said, without a second thought, I took my hands from the steering wheel and lifted them. It was the most natural expression. And in that moment, I knew it. I'd become one of them. I'd switched teams. <laughs> so, uh, goes on to say, like, is there any more natural expression of excitement, wonder, or awe than raising your hands? And you think about it, like when you're excited about something, even outside worship, that's a very natural expression. Like, you know, it's a closed game and then your team suddenly scores the winning touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it feels like in our worship, we're more held back. And I remember uh, first time I observed people hand raising, not really understanding it. Uh, in fact, one of the first people I observed uh, hand raising in worship was you, Leah. <laughs> Me? <laughs> yes. Uh, we would um, be in our youth group and during the uh, time of singing, you kind of go off to the side, have your own uh, personal space for worship, but like your your hands were up and you were uh, deeply connected in that moment. So you offer a little insight into like what that feels like. Yeah, it's it's not something I think I can really define. You know, we do a lot of theology and apologetics where we're defining and explaining. Uh, but then there's this whole mystery of faith too and the mysterious ways that God works. Um, but then also just... You're right. Our body, we naturally express different emotions and excitement and joy and whatever else through like how we move our bodies. Like, yeah, your football team wins, you put your hands in the air. I'm pretty sure when we got our house, I did something similar. Like, woo, like you get really excited, you give high fives, whatever. Like, like it kind of naturally comes out of you. I moved over to the side largely because I didn't want to bump into people. <laughs> <laughs> Like I just, yeah. I makes me feel weird. I like bumping into people. And, um, and I, I wanted to not have to worry about, worry about that when I was trying mm -hmm. to worship God. Um, and so for me, I guess I tend to raise my hands just as a way of like, I guess, communicating again, it's, it's just something that happens. So I don't, I don't fully know how to describe it, but it's just something I do to feel like I'm connecting with God. I'm reaching up. I'm um, expressing fully and connecting with God fully in those moments. Um, yeah, I guess that's the best way to describe what it yeah. feels like. It's connecting with God fully in those moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think it's important to clarify, this is not like a contemporary versus traditional thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember I've seen before and it's just a beautiful sight, like in a traditional worship service, somebody holding their hymnal, looking down at the words, but other hands extended up just in that praise and surrender. It's a, mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thing that can transcend our uh, human divisions if we let it. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of getting back into the content here, he says that in the context of praise, Yada describes those moments when the Hebrew people were so overcome by the glory of the Lord that their hands shot upward in response. He said, God's people could not help but raise their hands in praise. I also like this kind of last comment on here, looking ahead. One day we will yada our God forever and ever. Shouldn't we start practicing now? <laughs> That's good. So moving on to our next word, which is halal. To boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, to be clamorously foolish. 
I love that last bit. <laughs> Becoming more undignified than this. Nice. Yeah. Um, and a verse that exemplifies that is Psalm 149, verse 3. It says, let them praise Halal, his name, with dancing and make music to him with timbrel and harp. I love the story that Darren told to set this one up. He told a story about going to a Jewish wedding. And with a lot of our weddings, you know, especially if there's a dancing time, if you're you know, standing off to the side, that's okay. But in a Jewish wedding, participation is not optional. <laughs> He's talking about like, you know, them breaking a man, you know, being like arm to arm with people dancing and being very undignified, you might say. Yeah. Because uh, they believe that marriage is a thing that is worthy of foolishness and near nonsensical celebration. And that is an example of halal. And that is the primary word in Hebrew translated in praise. And that's also where we get the word hallelujah. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're learning something new. <laughs> uh, he describes it as an exuberant expression of celebration, a word that connotes boasting, raving, or celebrating. It says Psalms of halal were not, quote, static declarations, but they were meant for corporate celebration. And we we're familiar with Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That is halal. Let everything ha- that has breath halal the Lord. Uh, he goes on to say, and this is a quote, the God of the universe made us to praise him with abandon. Like foolish but fun-loving children, sometimes I wonder if God looks down on our dignified, carefully orchestrated worship experiences and wishes we'd cut loose. So let's move along. Our next word is zamar, which means to make music to celebrate in song and music, to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. I feel like you can relate to this one a lot, considering you are a musician and you build instruments and you do music for work and, and, and. (laughs) And, 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 Yes, yes. (laughs) An example he gives of this is Psalm 144, verse nine. I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of 10 strings, I will sing praises, Zamar, to you. Uh, He gives... A really wonderful uh, setup for this one. He talks about when his wife was in labor and in the room, they were playing worship music. Uh, The way he says it is, the worship music we played during Brandy's labor gave us a sort of hidden strength. The music wasn't just for our new baby. It was for us too. He goes on to say, praise and worship music can be a powerful tool to draw us into a personal experience with God. That's what I'm saying. I do love, I love this quote. Uh, Music is more powerful than we even understand. It can soften our hearts, soothe our troubled souls. It opens the door to the spiritual world. It paves the road for the spirits coming. Gives an example of this in 2 Kings chapter 3. There's a part where there's a group gathered and someone says, is there a prophet here? And then here comes Elisha. Elisha comes forward to prophesy. But before he does, he asks for a harpist. As Darren Whitehead said, he demanded a soundtrack. <laughs> I kind of think of this like um, usually at our uh, church service after the sermon, the pastor's doing a closing prayer, which is the convenient time for the band to sneak back up there. But under that, usually I'll get like a ambient pad going and just play a little, play a little underscore. That's, that's kind of what I think of it. Mm-hmm. A little music to complement uh, mm-hmm. the message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then even you know, going before the message, I think there's good reason that we tend to sing before we hear the word is uh, music often prepares the heart for the reality of a good message. I know I've been a lot of church services and yet the the time of singing that we have does a great job of getting me ready to hear 
And he has kind of a comment to the musicians specifically. He says, if you are a musician, ask yourself, when is the last time I simply played my instrument for God alone? When is the last time I felt the power of God in my music, even when no words were sung? Making music, Zamar, is a gift. Are you making the most of it? Mm. I do think also at those same times when I'm like playing an underscore behind a prayer, sometimes sometimes I just do like, you know, basic chord progressions behind it. But then sometimes, it's, I don't know, it's hard to describe like a the connection to the spirit through through the keys. Mm-hmm. And, and that one, Chris doesn't describe a specific song. He uh, talks about just the power of instrumental music and, you know, sometimes being with some band members and they just play mm-hmm. and the connection to God that you can have through that. So yeah, music. I like it. No kidding. <laughs> what a shock. Yes. So moving right along, our next word is toda, which is an extension of the hand. Oh no, this again. An extension of the hand, thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise, thanksgiving for things not yet received, or a choir of worshipers. Interesting combination. Mm-hmm. This is a scene in Psalm 56, 11 and 12, which says, In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises, Tauda, to you. In this uh, example, he gave a story about he was preaching at Salem Baptist Church, and he was a little bit nervous for this sermon. Uh, he said it was his first time uh, speaking at a predominantly black church, but also this church was located in Chicago's South Side, which is a very high crime area. And he's like, you know, what do you, what do you preach to people who are in this place? But he described it as. They declared that their story, the story of the community, was not over yet, that they would rise up and stand in faith, the faith that the Lord would come through. It goes on to say, the psalmist used Tauda as an expression of confession, a way to convey trust in the goodness of God. I think it's really, really cool with this one that it's so much thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's done, but also what he's not done, what you believe he will do. Mm. That's a... Just a beautiful thing there. Um, he gives an example of in Psalm 56. Uh, a lot of Bibles, they with the Psalms, sometimes they give some background before it begins. So at this point, David had been captured by the Philistines, but he praised the Lord for the promise of deliverance he'd not yet received. It goes on to say, In Tauda, we lift our hands in the presence of God, not only for what he has done, but also for what he will do. That's a pretty deep praise, I'd say. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of a lot of faith, a lot of trust. Um, it's a, I think, a very mature faith of that. And I also think that this kind of faith um, is, and this kind of worship, is oftentimes a choice when mm-hmm. we're not feeling trustful, when we're feeling afraid um, and uncertain. We choose to trust God. We choose to praise him because we trust that he will bring us through. Like, it's a choice. It's not so much a feeling. And singing songs like that, Um, or, you know, journaling about it or whatever you're going to do. Like you could talk to God about those things that you're worried about, but then you can end as many Psalms do with, but I trust you. And I know you're going to bring me through this because of who you are. Like it's a choice more than a feeling a lot of times. Let's move on to our next word, which is Barak. To kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute, to thank. An example of this is Psalm 72, verses 11 and 15, 
says, Yea, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him, and he shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall he be praised, Barak. Uh, in this one, he tells a story about hearing about a former student from his youth ministry days who had been in a terrible motorcycle accident. I believe he was in a coma, and they went down uh, to see the family be with him in the hospital, and it was looking uh, very bad, even to the point where like, the hospital nurse went in to talk to this man's wife to talk about next steps, what route they want to take. He said uh, he, at this point, had gone back home. And while I think on his way to church, he was talking to another pastor friend who knew this, and they were talking about who was going to do the funeral. Suddenly his friend said, wait, I'm getting another call. And uh, so he went off the line and then came back later and said, he woke up. And then in that, shares the story, they arrived at church, he says, and as the music began, I looked at Brandy, his wife, now on her knees, arms outstretched, thanking God for the miracle he'd done. He says, Barak embodies the notion of kneeling before God, of blessing and adoring him, of recognizing one's position in relation to him. They, being the Hebrew scholars, believe that in the original context, the term did not simply mean bowing down. Instead, it carried the connotation of bending low while keeping one's eyes fixed on the king. To Barak is to be transfixed. It's a laying aside of egos and offering of everything. And another great example in scripture of this is in Psalm 103, where that word is used with what uh, Darren Whitehead calls a repetitive hook. It says, praise Barak the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Uh, the verses used there are 1 and 2 and then 20 through 22. That's a, um, it's a powerful word of worship, I think. Many of what we've talked about before was, you know, excitement in worship. But this is, is very, very much surrender and still believing in the goodness of God. I think it goes a lot with um, what we saw with Tauda, where you're thanking God for what he's not yet done. And then sometimes you see him do it. and You can't help but kneel in adoration. Let us move on to our next word, which is Tehillah means laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. It's seen in Psalm 22, verse 3, which reads, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises, Tehillah of Israel. Uh, songs of Tehillah are often written from personal experiences. In fact, many of our modern worship songs are written from personal experiences. Uh, Darren shares the story of kind of how he became a pastor um, he makes the joke of the U.S. government called me into this because apparently when he was moving to U.S., um, the visa he was issued was a pastor's visa, even though he was coming to be a Christian radio host. Oh, <laughs> but then eventually he started preaching and became a pastor and planted churches. That's funny. <laughs> and you know, so much of his pastoral call comes from his personal story. Yeah. Um, he says that songs of Tehillah come from the worshiper's heart in the moment. 
They flow from the depths of intimacy with God. It's important to remember that, you know, our stories have power. You know, we've been given the gift of testimony and that's not a one and done thing. Uh, you should be always growing in your faith. Uh, the testimony is continuing and God is giving you these wonderful stories. Uh, so maybe if you're musically inclined, try, try, try putting it to music and something wonderful, wonderful can happen. So this brings us to our last word, which is Shabbat, which is to address in a loud tone, to shout, to commend glory and triumph. An example of this is Psalm 145 verse four says, our generation shall praise Shabbat, your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Describes it as it quite literally means to raise a holy roar. Hey, that's the name of the book. Uh, <laughs> this is also seen in Psalm 63. I'll be reading verses one and three and four. It says, you God are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise Shabbat you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Then later, Psalm 117, he describes as a call for all the nations to raise a holy roar. And he also gave a kind of cultural example of what this kind of sounds like. He recalls being uh, at the 2016 World Series game where the Chicago Cubs won their first World Series victory in 108 years. Apparently, that was the seventh largest gathering in history. And at the victory, the whole crowd gave a, quote, full-bodied, full-volume shout at the top of their lungs. This is after those 108 years of anticipation. So then in more of a worship context, he says, when God's people unite in praise, our voices unite. Songs become anthems. Anthems become declarations. Declarations become a holy roar. Shabbat transcends geography and generational gaps. He goes on to say, the holy roar of praise is not self-contained, not just for a particular people in a particular space. It's not praise for the purpose of pumping up the present crowd. It's for the purpose of passing on the faith from one generation to the next. The next generation, the future church, is waiting for the sound of Shabbat. You know, though, what is it going to be like um, if... There was this huge celebration at that uh, Chicago Cubs victory when Jesus finally comes back. And it's been 2,000 something, 3,000 something, however many years. And then the whole church from past and present mm-hmm. is there to celebrate the victory. Imagine it's, it's a good thing that God will be there to heal our, all our ears because it'll be just a deafening <laughs> roar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe our, our bodies will be immune to being deafened by said roar. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> yes. I, think, I think our glorified bodies are going to be able to take a lot. <laughs> I like to, I like to think so, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then in kind of a uh, conclusion to the book, a final chapter, uh, Darren shares final thoughts on these words and the idea of the church uniting to raise a holy war. No, not a holy war. <laughs> we don't do that. A holy roar. Darren recalls uh, going to a U2 concert with uh, some of his other reserved church friends, and they were all enthusiastically letting loose. He wonders, why do we not worship with that same kind of excitement, that same kind of abandon? He gives a quote from Richard J. Foster. 
who says, often our reserved temperament is little more than fear of what others will think of us, or perhaps unwillingness to humble ourselves before God and others. Of course, people have different temperaments, but that must never keep us from worshiping with our whole being. Kind of a backtracking to our first word, the uh, hand raising one. Again, I'm not saying if you're not a hand raiser, you're doing it wrong, but I do think it's kind of important to examine your why. And if you're curious about it, this would be my encouragement. Go home, be in a room by yourself, put on your favorite worship song, sing along, raise your hands, see what happens. No one's there to judge you. It's just you and the Lord. If it feels inauthentic, don't do it again. But you might find a new freedom in there. And I think that's so true with so many things in worship. Don't be focused on what other people are thinking. Let it be a true moment with you and God celebrating with the other believers together, making this holy roar. Darren says, worship is an imperative. It's required. It's a whole being daily practice. Yeah, that's uh, that was incredible to hear about all these words that all mean worship, but seven different ways for us to worship God, seven different ways that God meets us. And so I think worship, yes, it's an imperative, but it, man, it's such an honor to be mm-hmm. able to connect with our God in that way. Yeah, that's um, something that when I pray before our worship team practices for my church, something I say, I like to, I thank God for the privilege to lead his people in worship. Mm-hmm. I say, uh, ask him to bless our hands, bless our voices, bless our hearts, and that even as we work through the details, we may truly be worshiping you. It's an honor. It's a privilege that we have to come before the throne. It's great. All right. Well, thanks for reading this book and getting for, so that we can all learn about mm-hmm. it. So this has been great. Yeah. And if uh, your interest was piqued, I'd absolutely encourage you to get this book. Maybe do the, do the study with your church. It's a really easy read, uh, short book. Very interesting. Uh, I could have read it in one sitting if I wanted to. Yeah, that's awesome. Yep, we'll link the book in the show notes. Um, if you like this, make sure to leave a positive review. Say nice things so that other people can find us. Uh, we would really appreciate it. So thank you so much for listening and God bless. Apologetic Simplified is a part of Leah Chapman Ministry Productions. To learn more, go to www.leahchapman.org. And thanks for listening.